Hello, I'm Lina Khmudu. Welcome to Health Chat. It is a disease that can spread to people and pets if they are bitten or scratched by a rabid animal. In 2017, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported that each year thousands of people are infected with rabies in Ethiopia and an estimated 2,700 people die, one of the highest rabies death rates in the world. The capital city, Addis Ababa, accounts for a large number of stray dogs. The World Health Organization says rabies is a vaccine-preventable viral disease which occurs in more than 150 countries and territories. Ethiopia is among the top countries where the virus takes the lives of thousands each year, according to the Ethiopian Public Health Institute. The WHO also affirms that there are dogs that are the main cause for the spread of the fatal virus to humans. When we define the disease, it's a fatal one. Once a person shows symptoms, it's usually too late to treat, and they will likely die. That is what makes this disease different from others. It's mostly found in dogs, but it affects other animals too. According to experts at the Ethiopian Public Health Institute, rabies cases increase during the rainy season in Ethiopia, mostly from July to September. The Tigray and Amhara regions experienced the highest numbers of cases. Currently, we estimate around 2,700 people die of rabies virus in Ethiopia every year. As an expert, I would say this data is not completely accurate, as many cases are not even reported. The director for the Veterinary Public Health Directory at the Ministry of Agriculture also says rabies is also causing killing animals like cows goats and sheep. He says the reason for the increase in cases is due to the growing number of free-roaming dogs. There is a correlation between rabies cases and the number of stray dogs because dogs are the main agents for the infections. So if the number of stray dogs increase or even if dog owners aren't managing their dogs well, rabies cases will definitely increase. There are two types of vaccines for rabies, says Dr. Yima. But Ethiopia only produces nerve tissue vaccine, which is less effective than with the latest cell culture vaccine. Nerve tissue vaccine There is a vaccine that the Public Health Institute produces here. It is called the nerve tissue vaccine. The Ethiopian Public Health Institute is sole manufacturer and distributor of this vaccine. And most of the time there's lack of availability. This vaccine is okay, but the cell culture vaccine is more effective. Unfortunately, we don't make it here. We have to import it, and the high cost prevents most people from accessing it. Dr. Yema indicated Ethiopia is working together with several stakeholders to control the spread of the disease by 2030. And Dr. Sise Getachu also says the ministry is planning to vaccinate 70% of the dog population in the country, but there is no real accurate data on the dog population in Ethiopia, which will make it very challenging. We turn now to veganism, the practice of abstaining from the use of animal products, including in diet. In Nairobi, Kenya, an increasing number of people are adopting a plant-based diet. The vegan movement is gaining traction in the region, largely due to health concerns, animal welfare and the environment. VOA Swahili reporter Huba Habdi visited Seoul Vegetarian, a vegan restaurant in Nairobi, and Grace Onyenubi narrates. Joyce Injoroge is a regular customer at Seoul Vegetarian Restaurant in Nairobi. She's among the few Kenyans who practice veganism. Before, I was a vegan. 
Before I became a vegan, I was getting many diseases and I didn't understand what exactly was making me sick. One day, I started thinking that maybe the food I was eating was a problem. Then I met someone who introduced me to veganism, and I started understanding that there are foods that help your body resist some diseases. Daniela Ram moved to Kenya from the United States in 2015. She started Soul Vegetarian, a vegan restaurant. I wanted to see how veganism would work here in Kenya. Um, I wanted to share what I knew and understood of veganism and how good it was here in Kenya. And also, I wanted to have somewhere to eat. (laughs) Kenyans, like many other Africans, love their steaks and ribs, lamb, beef or chicken slapped over the coals of the Inyamachoma grill are often on the menu. Well, one thing about Kenya, as we spoke about, is the Yamachoma country. Um, so it, the response has been good. It has been slow, but it has been good. Um, when I first came here in 2015 to now 2021, the growth of veganism and just the whole health aspect of eating has grown tremendously. So I'd have to say the response has been good because in five years, um, veganism is now more um, popular than it was before. And that growth has been exponential. Plant-based eating is increasingly recommended by scientists and nutritionists as a healthy diet that if followed on a regular basis can reduce the risk of some diseases. But some say it's not easy to give up things like milk and beef. What people don't know is there are other things you can consume that make you feel like you don't miss those things. For example, we have milk made from soybeans. You can find it easily in many shops. You can use it in your tea or drink it as just milk. The Vegan Society of Kenya defines vegan as not eating or using animal products. Veganism is not just a diet, but a way of living. There are spiritual benefits because you you are not involving yourself in cruelty. And then there are health benefits. Like I said, you are getting the whole nutrition from the plant without... Um, you know, animal products have a lot of cholesterol, antibiotics and diseases. So as a vegan, you eliminate that and you get better health. Some studies show that a plant-based diet offers some healthy benefits. For example, it can help reduce hypertension. And a study conducted by the United Nations concluded that livestock causes an estimated 14.5% of man-made greenhouse gases globally. So your body isn't the only thing that will benefit from a vegan lifestyle. It's also good for the planet. At least 5 million people have had their lives cut short by the virus, whose best defense is a vaccine, according to experts. And since the outbreak of the pandemic, scientists have focused on developing them. VOA's Carol Pearson explains some of the different approaches to making effective vaccines. Some people think if you get sick after being vaccinated, the vaccine has failed. But that's not true. The goal of vaccination is to reduce the severity of disease in almost all vaccines in use and not to prevent infection entirely. Several studies show the chances of being hospitalized or dying from COVID-19 are severely reduced for people who are vaccinated. 
The oldest vaccine-making methods use either a live virus or a dead one to spark an immune response. Different polio vaccines have used both. Three COVID-19 vaccines use weakened adenoviruses, which are viruses that cause colds. The Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine uses a chimpanzee adenovirus that has been weakened so it can't make people sick. Sputnik V and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine use weakened human adenoviruses that can cause colds. The American Society for Gene and Cell Therapy explains how scientists make these vaccines. Scientists removed the gene from the coronavirus's spike protein and put it into the adenoviruses. They also removed the gene in the adenovirus that can cause illness. Think of the adenovirus as an envelope with a message inside. The message tells the cells to make the spike protein. The body makes antibodies to defend itself. If it sees the spike protein again, the body is prepared to attack. You don't just mount an immune response to the adenovirus, but you also mount the immune response to the protein that it encodes, that spike protein that is part of the virus causing COVID. Both Johnson & Johnson and Sputnik V's first doses are made with a rare human adenovirus, AD25. Johnson & Johnson used to be considered a one-dose vaccine, but in October, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's advisory board recommended that a booster be used to increase its effectiveness. The second dose of Sputnik V contains AD5, an adenovirus people are frequently exposed to. Scientists are concerned that Sputnik V doesn't offer enough protection against COVID-19. There are other ways to make vaccines that do not use viruses or bacteria, what scientists call pathogens, that could cause disease. The latest method involves messenger RNA vaccines, or mRNA vaccines, which are produced by Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech. They use techniques to trick the immune system into seeing, thinking it's seeing a pathogen without actually providing most of or all of the pathogen. The side effects can include mild soreness, muscle pain, and fatigue. There are some reports of things like a fever, some nausea, but all of these things can be supported at home. Rest, fluids, and non-prescription pain relievers should help. Cox says it's not surprising that researchers could develop mRNA vaccines against COVID-19 so quickly. COVID-19 isn't the first attempt at using this technology. These vaccines could be developed very rapidly because they had been testing vaccines using this strategy against other pathogens. Just drop your shoulder for me, relax. There's an advantage of having so many vaccines against COVID-19. The whole world needs to be vaccinated. Hondurans are even willing to cross a river to get the vaccine in neighboring Nicaragua. Another advantage is that scientists might be able to figure out which vaccines work best for different people. Carol Pearson, 
VOA News. The next story takes us to Morocco. It all started as a simple culinary curiosity for Aziz Girtit, who originally planned to venture into a completely different sector. It was therefore pure chance that led this Moroccan to realize that snails have other uses than food. Specifically, he discovered that their secretions have cosmetic properties. Cleaning the snails can cause a few cuts on the hands, but what is interesting is that the bleeding stops quickly. The scars disappear and also the hands always remain hydrated. That's what encouraged me to do research about snail slime. Aziz's research led him to manufacture cosmetics using snail secretion, a substance known to have benefits for the skin. He explains how to produce good quality slime, one that heals the skin well and prevents infections. When picking out the snails, the most important criteria are the quality, the timing and making sure that the farm where the snail lived has high humidity, which helps the bacteria multiply. That's why it's necessary to leave the snail for a week after collecting it before using it for slime extraction. Patience is key, especially since with its ointment, serums and shampoos, Aziz wants products of the highest quality. When preparing cosmetics made from snail slime, we increase the percentage of snail slime used. We use 20%. Most products in the market only contain 3 or 4% of this substance. The main clients are companies, cooperatives and laboratories in Morocco as well as companies specializing in cosmetology. With the easing of COVID-19 restrictions, he hopes to participate in international exhibitions and trade fairs very soon. From smartphones to billboards, digital displays are everywhere. But some companies say the ideal display is the human eye itself, and they are developing some eye-opening smart contact lenses. Tina Trin reports. We consult screens every day for information. But what if that experience could be delivered straight to your eyes? That's what some companies are hoping to accomplish with smart contact lenses. Lenses in which a user's field of vision is overlaid with digital information. You can walk around with a heads-up display 24-7 in your eyes. It may seem like a far-off concept, but engineers at startups are already developing smart lenses that marry augmented reality with everyday contact lenses. Michael Hayes is with Inwith Corporation, which created a prototype using a Bausch & Lohm lens. We started from the safety and the uh, efficacy of contact lenses as they are now, and then we worked out how to integrate circuitry into those kind of lenses. Smart contact lens makers say their discrete appearance is a major draw. There's no geek factor to it. When Google Glass came out a few years ago, people didn't want to adopt it because of the fact of, of the, uh, the aesthetics. While InWith works with soft contact lenses, another company uses a more rigid medical-grade lens. Steve Sinclair of MojoVision says the custom-fitted Mojo lens is all about invisible computing. We should be able to get the information we want when we want it, but also stay engaged with the real world. MojoVision claims to have made the world's smallest and densest micro-LED display. We can pass data wirelessly to that display, and it projects it onto your retina. Both InWith and MojoVision's lenses work in tandem with the user's smartphone to relay information to the lens. MojoLens has built-in motion and image sensors. It's all about eye tracking and understanding your intent. And when you're not interested in that information, it just disappears. 
It'll likely be years before consumers can test drive these lenses, but the technology is already proving they're more than meets the eye. Tina Trin, VOA News. You are listening to Health Chat on Voice of America. It is time for a short break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Health Chat. For the past 17 years, a Washington state-based beauty company, Alafia, has been providing American consumers with beauty and personal care products with ingredients grown in Africa. Togolese native Olowonjo Chala created Alafia, described as a clean, green, and fair trade beauty company with a mission to cultivate beauty, equality, and empowerment in West Africa through the fair trade of indigenous resources and community empowerment projects. I spoke with Olowon Joe Chala to discuss how Alafia's products are contributing to women's wellness and beyond. Take a listen. As many people around the West part of Africa and me coming from Togo, we use Alafia as a greeting. And Alafia is a state of, a state of peace, health and peace. And that is what I'm striving to do. Uh, in order to reduce poverty and the suffering of the people, we need to have peace and health. And I also feel Alafia need to embody the best of the best of Africa. You chose to use beauty and personal care products as a business venture to show part of the best of the best of Africa and, and to bring about change. Why did you focus on that aspect? One, we have the skills on how to use it. In the DNA of Alafia is what do we know how to use, how to, how to do, that we're not importing a knowledge from America or from Europe. We already know how to make shea butter. We know how to make coconut oil. Also, I wanted to do something that is preserving our culture. Additionally, it is something that the world needs. Africa can produce products that are natural. The world is shifted away from chemical-based products. So using a natural ingredient that we have indigenous way of making it, it simply just made sense to me. But also it was feasible. Lafia was not started for the intentions of self-accumulations of income of wealth. It was about to do good in, in the community. Because of that, you have to be reasonable in choosing something that you can actually do. Your company is known as a fair trade beauty company. What does it entail? In some ways, to me, fair trade is opposite of the colonialism. And the essence of colonialism is let's take the product or the raw materials or the knowledge for as cheap or free. What fair trade is saying is let's compensate a fair living wages for the product or the knowledge and let's provide a safe working environment. When it comes to Alafia, it's really ensuring that fair living wages are composite, composite to those who are making the product. In Togo, in one of Alafia centers, the women get paid four times the local wage because you got to pay people enough to be, able to be able to send their children to school. Fair trade is also ensuring that the primary ingredient is paid at the fair value. The person can sustain their life on it. Many of our communities, 70% of our communities still live in the rural area in Western Africa today. Their livelihood is based on either farming or collecting things from the wild. So we must 
pay them a fair price for what they're collecting or what they're farming. Talk to us about some of the products in, in your, your brand. How do you choose them? Why did you choose them? It's not so much about the a choice as the understanding of what the world consumer, what do America wants to consume? It doesn't do us any good to try to alleviate poverty or to create a product that customers won't buy. We have to be relevant to the marketplace. The, the diverse ingredients from moringa, from shea, from coconut oil, from baobab, all those various ingredients that we have in abundance, and based on the consumer's need on the skin types, we create the product. What is also important is creating a diverse form of product. Alafia has 190 different products. Alafia has championed and funded initiatives in maternal health care, education, reforestation, and regenerative agriculture. Can you please tell us about some of these projects you embark on? Given the difficulties and the challenges that we, 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 we face and we know our realities, we need to approach it comprehensively. We cannot simply just do environment and ignore education. Because the driver of society is, is quite simple, really. It's job creation and investment in the social activities that will drive the economy of the future. So in order to drive the economy of the future, we need to invest in education. And that, but also, those community projects are personal to me. You know, in maternal health, there's a practice that we know in our communities as FDM. I, my mother went through it. I have a sister that went through it. And I was the, the boy that carried the bucket of water when the women have been cut. I have witnessed what we do in our community. So it makes sense that Lafayette will invest in maternal care. I have lost sisters myself because they can't spend $10 to buy antibiotic after the infection of giving birth. And an average one in 16 women would die in sub-Saharan Africa by trying to give birth. Those numbers are similar to the death rate in the U.S. back in the late 1700s. The Lafayette's investment goes beyond than my own personal feelings. It's also because it reduces poverty. We know that when we lose a mother, the other siblings are going to drop out the school. So if Alafia's intention is to reduce poverty, then we need to keep our mothers alive. And I think it's a moral thing to do anyway. So what are some of the challenges you often encounter? You spoke about some of them already, but talk to us about these uh experience as an entrepreneur, as an African native, as someone who is importing in the U.S. from Africa? I call it regional integration. Uh, it is fundamental to our economic growth. Before we even talk about how do we sell a product in America, is how do we, how are we selling product to each other and how we, how we driving our own local economies within the neighboring countries. It has never been easy uh, in terms of, so we need regional integration, and I meant mostly logistics and banking. The enforcement of contract is very important. In a business, you need to feel safe that a contract that I have with you can be enforced in the court. And, and that gives you the confidence to have it being binding and to invest. If we cannot have faith in our court systems, then it's difficult to be able to engage and want to, to invest. Part of entrepreneurship is to overcome the challenge and to change what is not working and to speak about what is not working to our leaders around the world, and particularly in Africa, so that we can make it more 
possible to build business. What advice would you give uh, people who would like to engage in uh, doing business uh, af- from Africa to the United States, uh, getting products, for example, locally and, and shipping them here? The kind of business model that you've adopted, what would you say? Simply having a product is not enough. How are you going to be different on the shelf? on e-commerce platform. So your reason to be is critical, and it's fine if you just want to make money. But I can tell you from the past 18 years, you can make money, and you can also serve your community. As far as the U.S. is concerned, it is understanding, is this the product that Americans want to consume? Is it relevant to American psychology? People may feel intimidated by American regulation. Well, I can tell you, is that the regulations in America are less than regulations in Togo. So start small and don't give up. What about the perception that uh, products that come from the African continent do not compete when it comes to quality? Clearly, we have a lot of misconception when it comes to our continent. The Alafia products are within the top five brand within the, the, the natural food industry in America. And clearly, those are all African-based products. So I'm convinced that we can override the misconception. We need to explain more that we are offering something unique to the world. We need to change our, our psychological ourselves. Once we change this, our own psychological base, with confidence that what I have is unique and you, the world, don't have it, therefore, you got to have this. So when we talk about social responsibility in retail, what do you see as the future of social responsibility? I think the social responsibility goes hand in hand with the, the, the appetite, at least in America, in Europe as well, for consuming natural product, right? Because social responsibility really focuses about the ethics that governs or how you may spend the, the results uh, that you derive from the economic activity uh, or how you run your organization. When we look as we go in the future, the social responsibility becomes even more critical. And I, and I believe that Africa is very well positioned to be part of that growth. We can make products that are natural to begin with. That is what the world wants to consume. We need to invest in our communities we need to be socially responsible entrepreneurs because our community needs us. We cannot wait for somebody else to come and solve our own problem. We've got to be solving the problems that we have. What are some of the takeaways from this, uh, this experience with Alafia? And um, what would you describe as the most satisfying achievement of your work? I have a long way to go. Uh, and I cannot claim an achievement uh, on, on my own. Certainly, there's many people uh, that have contributed to where we are today, and we're blessed and humbled by it. But if I were to point out uh, an achievement, I think two things. We take a Togo, for instance. Uh, outside Lome, Alafia is the longest and the majority woman-run enterprise. Most of our organizations die within two years. We're on our 18th year. But I think it's also a, for me to demonstrate to the world that Africa and African-based ingredients and African-derived 
fundamental knowledge has the right to play with the big guys on American shelves, and we do. Olowo Njo Chala, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was Olowo Njo Chala, founder and CEO of Alafia. And that's all for this edition of Health Chat. For the latest news and coverage on the coronavirus pandemic, visit voanews.com. Check us out at facebook.com slash voahealthchat and let's keep the conversation going. Thank you all for joining us and special thanks to all our affiliate stations throughout Africa for carrying Health Chat. I'm your host, Linoch Mudu in Washington with producer Dan Brown. Until next time. Take care, stay safe, happy holiday and happy New Year's and strive to make every day in 2022 a healthy day. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and a panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including the potential fall of the Abortion Rights Act, Roe v. Wade, as lawmakers and officials in multiple U.S. states signaling they want to pass more restrictions on reproductive rights. This topic and more on Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Join me, Heidi Adams, on the next Straight Talk Africa. Nearly 20 years after the alleged genocide committed in Sudan's Darfur region, the first suspect is on trial at The Hague. What does this mean for those who have long called for justice? We'll also look at two African countries reeling from soaring costs of living brought on by the war in Ukraine. Tune in to Straight Talk Africa this Wednesday at 18.30 UTC. Stay informed and up to date. Monday through Friday at 3.30 and 17.05 UTC with VOA's International Edition. Our correspondents bring you the news from around the globe, plus we delve into the context of the day's biggest stories with interviews with experts that place the story into context to understand why it matters. VOA's International